Please listen carefully. Hi there, and welcome to episode 24, Toppers. If you're a returning topper, I'm ever so glad to have you back. And if this is the first episode you've listened to, well, I'm still ever so glad to have you here. Today we are talking about body modifications. And no, I don't mean piercings. We're going to explore phrases that include body parts with abnormal attributes, like rules with an iron fist, yellow belly, and sweet tooth, to name a few. What led us to start talking about these body parts in a different way? Well, as always, toppers, that's what I'm here for, to open your eyes to today's phrases, origins, history, and more. First up today is rules with an iron fist. This idiom means that as a leader, you get things done by being cruel, harsh, or otherwise just not nice to the people you're leading. The idea behind this one can be traced back to the Bible in Ezekiel chapter 20 verses 33 and 34. It says, As I live, saith the Lord God, surely with a mighty hand and with a stretched out arm and with fury poured out will I rule over you. And I will bring you out from the people, and will gather you out of the countries wherein ye are scattered, with a mighty hand and with a stretched out arm, and with fury poured out. While this passage doesn't explicitly say anything about an iron fist, it does have the implications of the ruler's hand being harsh and mighty. Now, this phrase actually has a longer version, which is to rule with an iron fist in a velvet glove. This extended version means that you should lead with the same harshness as the shorter version, yet you should hide your true nature with a feigned kindness. This thought process behind the full idiom is probably similar to the idea behind you catch more flies with honey than with vinegar, but we'll have to wait for another day to explore that idiom in greater detail. Anyway, no one knows who first said this phrase, but at least some versions showed up in 1650 in an anonymously written political publication called The Man in the Moon. It was in use before then, but again, no one knows exactly when it started. The usage that is likely the most famous one came from Napoleon Bonaparte, who said, quote, put your iron hand in a velvet glove, end quote. Napoleon lived from August 15, 1769 to May 5, 1821, so while he may not have been the first, he might have been the biggest guy who said it. And yes, that was an extremely lame attempt at making a pun about his supposed height complex. And with that failed humor, let's move on to the next phrase for the day, yellow belly. To have a yellow belly means that you are a coward or sometimes just that you're scared or easy to scare. The most popular theory for where this insulting phrase got its start goes back to when people were big into the four humors, blood, phlegm, black bile, and yellow bile. Yellow bile, or rather too much of it, was thought to make people short-tempered, or choleric. Cholera got its name mainly from the symptom of yellow, well, to be blunt, diarrhea. If you take those two things into consideration, the color yellow becoming generally associated with being inconstant or having mood swings, and thus being overall negative, isn't that hard to imagine. Calling people yellow-bellied was, and still is, extremely popular in the world of westerns, which captured the imaginations and hearts of Americans in the early 19th century. 
but even so, this phrase is thought to have come from England. In 1787, Francis Gross, an English antiquary, droughtsman, and lexicographer, wrote a provincial glossary with a collection of local proverbs, etc. In it, he wrote, quote, Yellow bellies, this is an appellation given to persons born in the fins, who, it is jocularly said, have yellow bellies, like their eels. End quote. The fins are the Finlands, which is a coastal plain in eastern England. So for this phrase to be used in a book of Proverbs in 1787, it had to be a good bit older than that. Now let's shine up our yellow and turn it into gold and explore the history of having a heart of gold. If you have a heart of gold, it means you are kind, sincere, and generous, often to an extreme. The idea behind the saying comes from the fact that gold is one of the purest metals, usually low in impurities, especially after processing. If a person is considered to be better than most in the way they treat other people, then they too are seen as being more pure. So it's easy to see where this comparison comes from. As for where the phrase actually comes from, this is another one we can thank Shakespeare for. He wrote this one in his play Henry V, which tells the story of England's King Henry V, especially the events right before and after the Battle of Agincourt, which took place during the Hundred Years' War. The battle took place in 1415, and Shakespeare wrote the play around 1599. In the play, the character of Pistol says the following line, quote, The king's a bawcock and a heart of gold, end quote. In case you, like me, didn't know what the heck a bawcock was the first time I read that line, it's basically a term that means nice guy. Since it's believed that this phrase got its start at the same time it showed up in print, there's not really anything else to say about this idiom. So now let's take a bite out of the idiom sweet tooth. If you have a sweet tooth, it means you really like sweet foods. But why do we say that the tooth is what is sweet for people who dive into dessert a little more eagerly? Why not the tongue or the lips or just the mouth in general? It's because the word tooth can be used figuratively, and when it is, it means something more like appetite or palate. We can see proof of this in our good friend the Oxford English Dictionary, which gives us the following example, quote, what a tooth for fruit has a monkey, end quote. Now that example is from 1851, but the phrase sweet tooth is even older. I just thought that would be a good example of how tooth can be used for other meanings and to explain why tooth is the part of mouth that gets the sweet treatment. As for when this idiom actually first appeared, it's believed to have shown up in the first half of the 14th century, somewhere in England. The first known use of the phrase idiomatically in print comes about 300 years later, in yet another book with a ridiculously long title. The book, written by Richard Head, an Irish author, playwright, and bookseller, was published in 1665. The name of the book was The English Rogue, described in the life of Meryton Latrune, a witty extravagant, being a complete history of the most eminent cheats of both sexes. This book was a satirical romance novel. In this overly titled book, he wrote, quote, My sweet tooth longed for a taste, and being very toothsome, I did eat several. End quote. And now that I want some chocolate, let's change gears and look into what it means to turn a blind eye. Obviously, a blind eye lacks the ability to see. When someone turns a blind eye, it means they pretend not to see something, not that they are actually incapable of seeing it. 
However, this saying is thought to have come from an actual blind eye, and it belonged to the English naval hero Admiral Horatio Nelson. In 1801, during the Battle of Copenhagen in Denmark, walkie-talkies didn't exist, so armies that were spread out used flags to signal actions such as when to advance or retreat. These signals would be watched for through telescopes. At some point during the battle, the commanding admiral, Sir Hyde Park, signaled to Admiral Nelson to withdraw. Admiral Nelson thought he could win if he kept at it, so he raised his telescope to his blind eye and said to an officer there with him named Thomas Foley, quote, You know, Foley, I have only one eye, and I have a right to be blind sometimes. I really do not see the signal. End quote. Side note. I think that's awesome, and Nelson was probably a pretty cool dude. Anyway, we see this phrase show up idiomatically in 1823. It was in a work called More Letters from Martha Wilmot, Impressions of Vienna, 1819-1829. through 1829. Martha Wilmot was the wife of Reverend William Bradford, the chaplain to the British Embassy. This work was about her experiences in Vienna, and it also included a journal about a tour of Italy and Tyrol and some excerpts from her oldest daughter Catherine's diary. Basically, it was a recounting of the things these two Irish women did and experienced, and the people they met in Austria, Russia, Italy, and other places. In this journal, they shared the following advice for having fun in a foreign country. Quote, Turn a blind eye and a deaf ear every now and then, and we get on marvelously well. End quote. They also sound like pretty awesome people. And with that, let's move on to today's metaphorical moment. It's just a metaphor, dude. It's a metaphor. Curious metaphor. A metaphor. That's just a metaphor. Today's metaphor is mind's eye. This refers to someone's imagination or visual memory. Basically, whatever they can visualize with their mind without seeing it in person. The idea behind this metaphor goes back to at least the 14th century, because that's when it first shows up in print so it's likely older than that. We first see it used by Geoffrey Chaucer, a recurring friend of this podcast. He used this one in The Man of Law's Tale, the fifth tale in the Canterbury Tales, and said, quote, It were with thick iron of his mind, with which men seen, after that they been blind. End quote. It was also used by our buddy Shakespeare in Hamlet, which he wrote in 1602, when Hamlet is talking about seeing his father to Horatio who asks Hamlet where he sees him, and he replies, quote, In my mind's eye, Horatio, end quote. This metaphor was used between these two times and has been used much since, but since that was the first use and likely the most popular use, at least metaphorically, I thought they'd be the best to mention. And now it's time for today's familiar quotation. Okay, Toppers, the book is open to a page that includes works from Henri Frédéric Emile from a work titled Journal. Have we had this guy before? I don't know. It doesn't matter. The quote for today is, Doing easily what others find difficult is talent. Doing what is impossible for talent is genius. Okay, Henri, I like that one. And that's going to do it for today's Familiar quotation.
Well, toppers, that's going to be it for episode 24. Thank you once again for joining me to turn some phrases today. As always, I hope you enjoyed the episode and that you learned something along the way. If you want to find my social media, contact, or sponsor information, just check out my show notes. Don't forget that you can send me topic suggestions, and if you do, just let me know if you want a shout-out or if you want to remain anonymous. If you had a good time listening, please consider subscribing or leaving a review. A 5-star rating and a quick review are one of the best ways you can help me and the podcast out. Also, if you know someone who'd enjoy the show, please tell them about it to help spread the word. Thanks again for listening to the Turn of Phrases podcast, researched, written, produced, and hosted by me, Brisky. Until next time, toppers, I'm sending you a virtual high five. Just a quick note, toppers, don't forget to go check out the Support the Podcast page on my website, turnofphrases.com. Although my sponsors don't change, Audible, Boss Boxes, and Amazon, sometimes the offers I have available to you do, so check it out often. Okay, no one likes ads, so let's end this one here. <laughs>